Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. your Bibles with you, open to Proverbs, the fourth chapter. Uh, I want to speak to you today about establishing boundaries in our lives. And I've spoke on this maybe a couple different times, and time's gone by, and I've pulled out some of my notes, and the Lord has added to them for me, and he's given me some polish for a few uh, things that's on it. And uh, I just feel like it's so necessary for this time. At first, I thought it would be a good New Year's message to start the new year off, right? And maybe it will be. I don't know. Uh, but I'm preaching it today. Uh, <laughs> in Proverbs 4.20, and you know, boundaries are so important for our lives. We have to have some limitations. We have to have some restraints, some boundaries, some things that we won't go beyond. And it takes a disciplined flesh to do that. How many know that? And in Proverbs 4.20, it says, My son, daughter, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. The word is life to those that find them, and health to their flesh. So I know there's life and healing in the word. Amen? And then he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Say issues. issues. Now I want to read it to you. That was the King James. I want to read it to you in the New International Version. My son, again, daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. And uh, he says here, for out of your heart shall flow the issues of life. And a lot of times we'll read scripture without really realizing the impact of some of the words, especially the ones that seem to be simple. And we take them for granted and think we know what they mean. And we also think we understand something when, in fact, we don't really understand it at all because, like I said, we take it for granted that we know some words and what they mean when we really don't, especially some of the words that come out of the Bible because, as you know, the Hebrew was written in the... Uh, I mean, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic, and uh, they just don't have... Uh, in the English language, there are some words that we just don't have an equivalent word for. And, you know, I've used this example before, like the word love. In the Greek, the Greek have four different words for love. And they can, you can, when you're writing in the Greek language, you can express what degree of love you're talking about. There are four, four degrees of love. You know, it's a, you know, I love chicken or I love God. There's big difference in, in between the two loves. But when you translate it into the English language, it's one word, I love. 
And you love God and you love chicken with the same word. But behind every passage of Scripture, there's a principle. And when you understand the principle that is behind some of these passages of Scripture, you'll realize that it has the power to literally change your life. That's why the word is described as life. It's a life-giving word. And this word issue is one of those words. It's a fairly simple word, and it's easy to understand. But issue could be a topic or a debate or a discussion, like the issue of global warming. Or it could be a problem or a difficulty, like I'm having issues with my car. Or it could be a magazine, like the December issue of Sports Illustrated. And sorry, men, that's not the swimsuit issue. And it's also a word that some people would use about someone they feel is emotionally unstable. They would say that he has issues. So we can have all kinds of different ideas as to what a word means, and we could be completely wrong about it. And we can miss the real meaning or the principle of what is being said. And this happens when a word is taken out of context. And you remember in our Bible studies, we say that you have to take the passage of Scripture in context, in context with the, the uh, verse, in context with the chapter, in context with the entire uh, letter that's being written, and also in context with the Bible. It has to mean the same thing all the way through the Bible. And so that's how you rightly divide the word. And sometimes the meanings of words seem to change in our lives, and they don't mean what they used to mean anymore. And I could get a, a use love again for an example. You start out strong in love, but the love you had on day one ain't the same love you have today. It could be greater, it could be less. So it doesn't mean the same as it meant before. But uh, as we rightly divide the word this morning, we're going to see the meaning of the word issue. And you'll find out that it's going to change for us as we realize that it's not what we thought it meant. But here in this passage of Scripture, most people believe the word issue has to do with the action of flowing or coming out. For out of it are the issues of life. So you just assume that it's talking about something that flows out. And that's exactly what it mean. It would mean in the New Testament Greek, like the woman with the issue of blood. She had a flow of blood issuing from her body. Blood was coming out. So it would be correct in that context of the New Testament Greek. But if we go back and look at it in the Hebrew, for example, the passage of Scripture we read this morning in the original Hebrew language, we'll learn that this word issue actually means borders or boundaries. And that changes our understanding, and it's not as simple as we thought it was, is it? He said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it will be uh, for out of it will the borders and boundaries of your life be established. So we could say it like that. And there's some translations that come close to saying it like that. And another interesting passage of Scripture is in Proverbs 29:18, where it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. So these are two interesting words here, vision and perish. We think, you know, I know what vision means, and I also know what perish means. And you probably do, but it's not what it means here. The word vision here actually means 
revelation or prophetic utterance. In the, in the Hebrew, it means revelation or prophetic utterance. And then the word perish actually means to run without restraint. If you look it up in the Strong's uh, Hebrew Dictionary, a lexicon, that's what you'll find. To run without restraint. So in other words, it's saying that people without a revelation, an understanding, or a prophetic utterance, or a word from God, that's what a prophetic utterance is, is a word from God, are running without restraint. So uh, people without a revelation, a prophetic utterance, or a word from God are running their life without restraint. They're doing what they want to do. No restraints. And it's dangerous to live life without restraints, without borders, without boundaries. It's like seatbelts in a car. Another name for a seatbelt is a restraint. They passed a law a number of years ago that you had to have child restraints in your car to restrain your child from bouncing around the car in the event of an accident. So that's a restraint. That's a good thing. Amen? But it's like, uh, it's dangerous to drive without a restraint. It's dangerous to do anything without restraint. It's like ignoring fences or barriers at the zoo. How many knows what I'm talking about? Yes. That crazy lady climbed a fence and was taking selfies with a lion behind her, lick, licking his chops, you know? That's just stupid. That's crazy. That's somebody that doesn't respect boundaries or borders, and it's dangerous for them. But as long as you stay on the right side of the barrier or the fence, stay within the borders, you'll be safe. And those barriers are there for your safety, and it would be dangerous and stupid for you to violate them. Anybody know where I'm getting with this? Someone who lives life without borders or restraints is like that old Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. And you might have did it your way, but it would have been a lot better if you did it his way. Well, I'm going to do it my way, and no one's going to tell me different. I'm going to enjoy my life, and you probably will. But you might, you might not enjoy it as long as you could have enjoyed it if you did it his way. Proverbs 4.20 through 24, our opening scripture, tells us that our heart establishes the boundaries because he said out of your heart are the issues of life or the borders and the restraints for our life and Paul said in Romans 10 10 that it's with the heart man believes it's with the heart man believes unto righteousness it's with the mouth that confession is made unto salvation so what it's telling us here is that your heart is your belief system your heart is where your beliefs are held and these beliefs are the moral compass for your life. What you believe will direct your life. And these beliefs in your heart will give you guidance in everything that you do. And that's why what you believe is so important. Because those beliefs are going to govern your life. And once a belief is established in your heart, it will, direction, it will dictate the direction that, your heart, that you're going to go in life. And your life will never move beyond your heart. I'm going to say that again. Your life will never move beyond your heart. Because your heart is full of beliefs about all sorts of things. And some are right and some are wrong. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Some people believe that margarine tastes better than butter. A Chevy is better than a Ford. 
fried chicken tastes better than baked chicken. Now, these are beliefs, and they don't seem that important. And I don't think they're life-saving at all. Well, maybe the baked chicken is better with cholesterol or something, but, but those beliefs will definitely reflect the way that you shop, the vehicle you drive, and the food that you eat. If you believe fried chicken is better than baked chicken, you're going to order fried chicken every time. If you believe uh, margarine is better than butter, then you'll ask for margarine and you'll buy margarine at the store. So you see what I mean about beliefs? They govern your life. They give you direction for your life. And if you believe yogurt will kill you, you'll never eat yogurt. My brother-in-law, George, he was reading that. I tried to get him to try yogurt, and he was reading the label and said, live cultures. Uh-uh, I don't eat anything that's alive. <laughs> he wouldn't eat yogurt. At least he didn't think he did. But uh, Ann used to put it in all kinds of recipes, and he ate it. <laughs> he just didn't know it. <laughs> but some beliefs will cause huge changes in your life, like beliefs about money, beliefs about time, beliefs about life itself. And what beliefs are setting the boundaries for your life may be different than the beliefs that are setting boundaries for other people's lives. But everybody has boundaries. Again, some are good, some are bad. And most people will stay in the boundaries that they've set through their beliefs. Most people will. I'd say 99%. And they'll never violate what they believe. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, no, I just don't believe like that. I can't do this, especially in religion and the things of God. You know, nope, my beliefs won't allow me to do that. You know, well, those are boundaries that you have set because of the beliefs in your heart. And the most important beliefs that we can establish in our lives is beliefs about ourselves. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe you're capable of doing? What do you believe you're capable of not doing? There's some things that you shouldn't be doing. But what do you believe about yourself? That's probably the most important belief that you can have because if you don't believe you can do something, you never will. If you don't believe you can climb a mountain, you won't. If you don't believe you can overcome an addiction, then you probably won't. If you don't believe you're smart enough to get a college degree, you probably won't. And so your beliefs are important to your success in life. And the boundaries and the restraints that you set for yourself will either make you or break you. Amen. Did you know that belief is another word for faith? If you look it up in the Greek, faith is a word that comes from a Greek word, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it means a firm persuasion or a belief. So when you're talking about faith, you're talking about what are you firmly persuaded of? What do you believe? And, and uh, so Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And that word faith means that what you believe has made you whole. In other words, daughter, your firm persuasion, your belief that I am the healer and I'm willing to heal you is what made you whole. So faith and beliefs are interchangeable terms. So if you really believe something, then you'll have the faith to cause it to come to pass. Uh, faith is like built into God's word. You know, that's something that's unique about God's word. If he said something, he's injected enough faith in that statement that you could act on it and it will come to pass for you. Amen. Of course, you have your own faith and it helps, but 
God's word has faith built into it. If you really believe what God said, it will work for you. And, and uh, unfortunately, this, hap- this works for bad beliefs as well. If you believe something bad long enough, it could happen to you. Uh, if you believe you're too old or incapable to do something, then you probably never even try it. If you believe you're too young, same thing. If you believe you're not smart enough or educated enough, same thing. You never step out and try something because you don't believe you're capable of doing it. And, and it, it all depends on how you see yourself. That's why I asked that question earlier. What do you think you're capable of doing? And I know that there's limitations. We tell our kids, oh, you could grow up and be president. No, he can't. Oh, you could be a brain surgeon. No, he can't. Not every kid could be a brain surgeon. Find out what they're capable of doing, the very top of their capability list, and direct them in that direction. Don't tell them they can be an astronaut when there's only one out of 100 million people ever become an astronaut, and out of that, hardly any of them ever go into space. You know? Don't tell them he could be an astronaut. You're giving them false hopes. But what's the image you have of yourself on the inside? It's important because... What you believe about yourself is as far as you will ever go in life. Like I said, if you don't believe you can do something or are not capable of doing it, you'll never try it. You'll never do it. And you might be able to quote, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. But if you don't believe it, then you will never act like a conqueror. And you'll be defeated. And you might be able to quote, my God will supply all my needs, but if you don't believe it, then you'll never act on it or reap the benefits of that. Amen. So it's not what you can quote, it's what you can believe. God's word will work for every one of us, but you have to believe it. Amen. Thank you for that one amen back there. But if you want to change your life on the outside, then you have to change what's on the inside. You have to change what you believe about yourself And you'll never become anything unless you see it first in here. So the belief in your heart will set the boundaries for your life, the borders, the restraints for your life. And they'll cause you to operate within these borders and restraints. And if you can change your beliefs, you can change your life. But in order to change your beliefs, you have to change what you think. And that's why Paul said to... uh, Renew our minds. How do you renew your minds? On the Word of God. Get that old junk out of your head that I can't do this and I can't do that and get God's Word into your head and you can be what He says you can be. You can do what He says you can do. You can go where He tells you to go. And that's the belief that you have to establish for yourself. You remember the parable of the talents? The master gave one servant five talents, one servant two talents, And the last servant, one talent. And the Bible says that they were given all in according to their several abilities or each one's ability. In other words, he gave the one two because he knew he was capable of handling two. He gave the one three because he knew he was able to handle three. The one, he knew he was able to handle one. And so, in other words, the master believed that they were all capable of handling what he gave them. And the one who had, or the five talents, and one who had the five talents, and the one who had the two talents apparently believed that they were capable of increasing them, and they doubled their master's talents. And when the master returned, he said to both of them, Well said, or, or well done, 
My good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. One that had five, now he's got ten. The one that had two, now he's got four. And, and he, they both received the same reward, except when it came to the one with the one talent. And then God said, take the one and give it to the one that has the ten, because he knows what to do with it. Amen? Amen. And so uh, he was really hired on the guy with the one talent because he didn't do anything at all. And if you read the context of the scripture, which we're not going to go into now, he has many false beliefs about the master. He said the master was hired and the master reaped where he didn't sow. And, and this is a, a parable that's speaking of God as the master or Jesus as the master. And that, uh, those were just lies that he believed about the master. And he said, because you're hired and because you reap where you don't sow, I buried it because I was afraid I'd lose it. And so he was really hard on him because he didn't do anything with it. And how many knows the master knows what you're capable of doing? And if he says you're capable of doing something, even if you don't think you are, take his word for it. So the servant who was given the one talent, he obviously didn't believe within himself that he was capable of increasing it. And he had no confidence in himself. And because of this belief, it restrained him from investing that and doing something with it. He buried it. How many people have talents that they buried? Here it's talking about money or silver, but I'm talking about actual talents, the ability to do something. How many of you have buried those talents or sat on them? Karen, you're making it too obvious. <laughs> Karen looking like this. <laughs> But he was unable to please the master. And isn't that what we want to do? Don't we want to please the master? He was unable to produce success in this area of his life. So rather than even try, he buried his master's money. He placed limitations on his life by what he believed. Because if he, could, if he would have believed that he could earn more with that talent, invest it, uh, put it in a bank, draw. if he believed he was capable of any of that, he wouldn't have buried it. He would have did the same thing as the five and the two. Well, maybe he wasn't capable. No, God said that he was capable. He gave each one according to their own ability. He, God never gives us something to do that we're not able to do. Amen. God told me one day that I would go to Bible college and I'd become a pastor. It took me a year before I got that belief in my heart. I said, no way. At first, I said, no way. It could never happen. And uh, finally, my heart changed, and I said, yeah, it could happen, and I could do it, and I did. And so, uh, but at first, I would have never did it because I didn't think I was capable of it. So our beliefs put boundaries on our life, and that's why it's so important to establish a belief system that is consistent with God's Word. Because if you're Belief system is consistent with God's word. You will never go wrong in life. So this man's beliefs about himself kept him from even trying. And how many of us are like that? You know, we think about doing something and then we talk ourselves out of it because we don't think we can. We're too old. We're too young. We're too fat. We're too slim. We're too dumb. We don't have enough money. I mean, the devil will give you all kinds of excuses why you can't do something. And you won't even try it. It's one thing to try and fail, but it's another thing to not ever try at all. And, uh, you know, uh, I was a safety manager at United Parcel Service. And 
I innovated a lot of stuff, and I tried new things. And my boss told me, he says, uh, I would rather you try something and fail than never try anything at all. And he kind of gave me carte blanche. He said, you try anything you want. So I changed a lot of things about the safety department. Some were great. Some I fell flat on my face. But my boss didn't get upset about it because he said, I'd rather you do that than nothing at all. And that's the way God is. Try it. If God puts it in your heart, you can do it. Amen. And, and, you know, how many people are there that could probably be successful in a lot of areas, but because they don't believe they can, they never try? How many people are like that? Some sitting in this room. If that man he gave the one telling to would have just thought, my master must believe in me. He thinks I can do it, or he would have never entrusted me with the telling. Yes, I believe I can do it. And he would have went out and did something. When Tyler was a little kid, and I was convalescing from back surgeries, I don't know if it was my first one or my second one, but I would sit there and watch his cartoons with him. And anybody ever heard of Bob the Builder? That was one of his cartoons, you know, and Bob would always say, Can we do it? And then his answer would be, yes, we can. <laughs> so that's what we have to do is get Bob the Builder's attitude. Right. Can you do it? Yes, we can. So if this <laughs> the servant with the one talent would have just tried, it could have changed the course of his life. Because, you know, faith builds faith. And faith only comes by one way, and that's by the word of God, hearing the word of God. That's how faith comes. But how do you strengthen faith? How do you make faith bigger and stronger? By trying it. You know, you try the little thing. Well, I'm going to believe God for a million dollars. Well, I wouldn't suggest you do that. Let's try $10. But I'm telling you, when that $10 pops up unexpectedly from a source you never expected it to come from, and you stop and think, man, that had to be God. Then you know that God heard your prayer. God answered your prayer. That gives you confidence. That makes your faith stronger and bigger for the next adventure. I'm going to believe God for 100 now. And just keep working your way up. Amen? Amen. Parents and adults in general play a key role in establishing beliefs in a child's heart. You know, whether you're a teacher, a grandparent, an uncle and aunt, a coach, a mom and dad, children are impressionable. So in order to establish beliefs in your hearts, you have to make an impression on them. And that's the way God designed children. He said, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. In other words, why is the kingdom of God like a child? Because children are gullible. They believe very easily. Their hearts are impressionable. They're generous. They're full of joy. They laugh and play. And I just, I mean, that's the way the kingdom of God is intended to be. And uh, when Mike and Chris were growing up, I might have shared this story before. Pastorette and I had a firm belief that if we're going to change their behavior or what they believed, then we would have to make a significant impression on them. And believe it or not, I learned this from United Parcel Service. You know, if you want somebody to learn a lesson well, you have to create a significant emotional event, like suspend them for three days. Or fire them and let the union fight for the job. 
Because once you do that, they never make that mistake again. <laughs> you know, you create that event in their life that will establish a belief in their heart that I ain't doing that no more. But anyway, we applied that to the kids, and we realized that we would have to create a significant emotional event in their life over certain things in certain areas. And uh, these are events that they will never forget, but at the same time will also change the way they think about the things that uh, uh, are the beliefs in their heart, and it will establish new beliefs in their heart. And for example, one time Mike was giving Pastor Ed a hard way to go about picking up his toys. And uh, I don't mean she was on them hard. You know, she'd go from the making the bed into the kitchen and passing by. She'd say, pick up them toys, son. And she'd go in the kitchen, you know, and then she'd go back the other way with some laundry. I told you to pick them toys up. Well, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to this. And after about the third time, uh, I'm not as patient as Pastor Ed. And after about the third time, I said, Mike... Would you like Dad to pick your toys up for you? And he's like, huh? Yeah, sure. I said, okay. I picked all them toys up and put them right in the garbage. He, I mean, he just bawled. He lost it. He was crying and screaming, and Pastor Ed come running, what's wrong, what's wrong? I said, nothing. I just created a uh, significant emotional event in Mike's life. And... <laughs> <laughs> In other words, he became firmly persuaded that the next time his mother or I ask him to pick up his toys, he's going to pick them up. And I'm telling you, he has never forgot that to this day. We never had another problem with him picking up his toys after that. And now we had other problems with the boy, but at least in the area of toys, we never had that problem again. And another way to create a significant emotional event in their lives is every once in a while you got to light that little behind up. And uh, that's why God commands that we spare not the rod. And uh, if you do, he says the child will be uh, spoiled and he will act foolishly because the rod of correction drives foolishness from a child's heart. And so nobody is more impressionable than a little child. And that's why I said that God uh, identified the kingdom like that. Because he designed children like that. And that's why it's so important that we teach them right and we establish a system of beliefs in their heart that's uh, uh, attached to the Word of God, I, for, better, for lack of a better word, but it's consistent with the Word of God. We have to establish that belief in them. And, you know, even in the Old Testament, God commanded the fathers to tell your children the stories, you know, when we crossed the Red Sea and when we did this and when we crossed the Jordan in the season of, of the flood. And, and Keep reminding them of God and the things of God. Read the word to them every day because God is trying to impress them. And, and that's why we should never put kids down or tell them things like you're useless, you're stupid, you're never going to amount to anything. Because if you get them to believe that, it will come to pass in their lives. And, and, you know, you can say all kinds of crazy things that don't affect them, but the moment they latch onto it and believe that that's them, they will become that thing that you call them. Amen. In Matthew 18 and 3 in Amplified, it says, Truly I say to you, this is Jesus talking, unless you repent, change, turn about, and become like little children, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. 
So that's why he identifies children with the kingdom of heaven. Because they're trusting, they're lowly. In other words, they're not full of pride. They're humble. They're loving and they're forgiving. And that's the main thing about the kingdom of God. You have to be loving and forgiving. And in order to be loving and, conv- and giving, forgiving, you have to be trust, uh, trusting and lowly. And so you can get a child to believe anything. Have you ever noticed that? And I, I've made mistakes like that with, with not only my kids, but nieces and nephews and stuff like that. I, I'd scare them half to death. I'd scare the bejesus out of them, you know. And, and I realize now how wrong that was, because some of them still sleep with lights on. But, <laughs> 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 but you, you know, you can get a child to believe anything because his heart hasn't been corrupted and filled with garbage and wrong beliefs. Uh, by the world yet, and he hasn't been taught to hate someone who is different. You know, children are not born racist. They're taught to be racist. They're taught to be biggest. They're taught to be prejudiced. And, and you know, if you got a prejudiced child, they got prejudiced parents or somebody prejudiced in their life that impresses them. And, and uh, you know, they don't come, they, they're not born like that. All that stuff is being programmed into them. And so, it's just as easy to program with love as it is hate. Amen? And it's, it's just as easy to program them to love everybody and not hate anybody because they look or seem different than themselves. And so while their hearts are impressionable, that's the time that we have to put something good into them. Their hearts are open to wisdom. Their heart is open to influence. They can be easily influenced. And because they haven't closed their hearts or spirits to any one person yet, they're constantly open to learning. But, you know, the way you talk to somebody, whether it's a child or an adult, the way you talk to somebody and the way that you treat them will indicate whether or not they're going to open their spirit to you or they're going to close their spirit. And, and I would advise anyone, when somebody starts talking trash to you or telling you something negative that you're not capable of doing or something, Close your spirit. Close your heart. Because you don't want that junk in your heart. That's why, that's why he said, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of what you believe, the boundaries and the barriers that you set for your life. So certain things you don't want in your heart. But, you know, there's an old saying that you can get somebody to swallow a bitter pill. If, like with my dog, you put a little peanut butter on it, you know. And so it's not what you say, it's how you say it and how you present it, you know. And you let them know that you're telling them something because you love them and it's going to be better for their life if they do it, then they'll receive that. But if you start out hollering and screaming and say, I can't believe you did that, that's wrong, and that, they closed. You can't get anything into them. So our jobs as parents and as adults at least the, the adults that have influence over the child's life. Some adults, they don't even pay attention to. But if it's an adult that has influence in their life and can speak into their lives, which would include grandparents and uncles and aunts, the Boy Scouts, the Cub Scouts, teachers, whatever, uh, if you have influence in a child's life, then your job is to teach them from an early age what's right and what's wrong and which way they should go. And that's what the Word of God does. That's what we try to do in the back there with the children and the youth. And we try to write on their little hearts the right beliefs because what they grow up believing is going to govern the rest of their lives. 
They might stray, but as long as their belief system doesn't change, they'll come back. So if you have children that you can influence, then it's your job to instill God into their lives. And you got to do it while they're young. And, you know, you may have grandchildren whose parents might not be following the Lord. And so a grandparent maybe needs to step in. And again, in the right kind of way and in the right spirit, invite the child to church. Find some kind of way to get that child into church. And then that child will influence the parents someday and get them into church. That's how me and Pastorette started going to a full gospel church. Mike went with Ann first. And he come back and he would do nothing but rave about how wonderful it is and the fun he had and uh, I felt the spirit and this and that until finally we agreed to go with him. And we've been hooked ever since. So, you know, get that child in church some kind of way. Uh, I know that parents have the ultimate responsibility, but God will hold you accountable if he knows that you could have had influence on that child and you didn't do it. And sometimes, you know, I know it's hard to take off the parent hat, the dad hat, uh, when your kids are adults, you know, you can't treat them the way they, that you did when they were children at home. And, and sometimes you just have to bite your tongue and, and keep your mouth shut. And sometimes it's hard. But there's some times where you just have to stand up and say, no, I, I believe you're wrong. I think, you know, and I know you're a grown man and you make your own decisions. But I think you're missing it here a little bit, you know, and try to direct them. And... Uh, I better not bring, tell this story. It might embarrass Laura, but <laughs> Tyler, that child, he always wants to come by our house. And I know sometimes it hurts Laura and Chris's feelings. Same thing with Mike and Ethan, because they want to come. But, you know, it's not that they love us more. It's that we have a different relationship with them. We have a grandparent's relationship with them, you know, and... Uh, I know sometimes I could see uh, the hurt in Mike's eyes, and sometimes he even gets upset, and he's, no, you ain't going. You're coming with me. <laughs> and uh, that might happen once in a while, but if it started happening too much, then I'd put my foot down. And I said, no, he's coming with me today, you know. <laughs> I mean, I actually enjoy having my grandchildren around. But it's important that we establish them beliefs in the children when they're young because if they grow up believing there's no God, then their chance of getting saved diminishes with every passing year. And I know there's alcoholics and drug addicts and people that were on a high and the television was on and they heard a message on television and got saved. But that's very rare. Most people that are in church get saved when they're very young. And sometimes it's because a grandfather or grandmother took them to church with them. So you got to get them while they're young. And like I said, you don't have to be blatant and ignorant about it. You can just plant seeds. And every chance you get, water them seeds. And God will cause those seeds to grow and increase. Plant seeds in their little hearts because they're tender and open. Their ground is soft. And if a child's heart is open to you as an adult... Don't ever use that privilege to instill wrong things into them because you'll give an account for it someday. Amen. When I first met Pastor Ed and we started going steady, 
I taught her how to smoke, how to drink, everything else. She was pure as a driven snow at that time, you know. And I put the wrong influence into her. Thank God we got saved. Hallelujah. Straighten us both out. But Jesus has a stern warning to anyone who harms one of his children. Uh, he, was, he was giving this discourse uh, on, the, on the mountain, and he finished his discourse on children in uh, verses 4 through 7. He says in, in Matthew 18, Whoever will humble himself, therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, and whoever receives and accepts and welcomes one little child like this for my sake and in my name receives and accepts and welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little children who believe in and acknowledge and cleave to me, if he causes him to stumble in sin, like I did Pastorette, that is who entices him or hinders him in right conduct or thought, it would be better more excellent and profitable or advantageous for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be sunk in the depths of the sea. That's how serious Jesus is about messing with a little child's heart. And then he says in verse 7, Woe to the world for such temptations to sin and influences to do wrong. It is necessary that temptations come but woe to the person on whose account or by whom the temptation comes. We ain't got no business tempting people that are doing right to do wrong. And, you know, these child traffickers and child molesters and the pedophiles and perverts and all the people we read about and the, the, the nasty stuff we read about them, uh, I'm going to tell you, them children have a big brother by the name of Jesus, and he has a necklace for them with a beautiful stone on it, and they're going to get it someday. Make no mistake about it, they're going to get it. But anyway, we open our passage this morning, Proverbs 4, 20 through 24. But now I want to go back to verses 3 through 13. It's the same author, Solomon, and I think it's going to sum up what I've been saying and it will make it clear why Solomon told us in Proverbs 4, 20 through 24, to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues, the boundaries, the restraints for our life. Now keep in mind, Solomon was writing this, and he was writing as a son uh, to his parents and about some life lessons he had learned from them, and he was also talking as a father to a son. And, and from his uh, saying things that his father told him as a son. And these are the beliefs that were established in his heart as he was growing up. Now, they obviously changed later in his life when he was a king, but he just violated the beliefs that he had. And in Proverbs 4, 3, uh, we'll go down to 13, but he said, For I was my father's son. Tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. And so that's how he kind of gets to Proverbs 4.20, and it becomes God telling us to keep his word. He says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, talking about wisdom, and she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. 
Wisdom, he says, is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, wisdom, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. You see how it's leading up to Proverbs 4.20? I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall be straightened, and when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. So when Solomon was ordained as the new king of Israel after his father David, the first thing he did was offer over a thousand sacrifices. And so where did he learn to do that? From his father. And when he prayed, God told him he would give him anything he asked for. And do you know what he asked for? Wisdom. Wisdom to leave God's to lead God's people. Now, where did he learn that from? His father. And according to this proverb, he learned the importance of wisdom, instruction, understanding from his father, King David. And most of us weren't raised in a godly home. And as a result, we probably had a lot of wrong beliefs instilled into us. Uh, but thank God, even as adults, beliefs can be changed if we want them to. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, I wouldn't say we came from a religious family. My father was a drinker. He was a brawler. And uh, my mom worked. And Well, they both worked, but they were like passing shifts in the night. You know, one worked the night shift, the other worked the day shift. And there wasn't a whole lot of time for anything else. But I remember my mother used to make us go to church. Even, even though she didn't go, she would make us go to church. And back then, we lived in Chicago, and the church was in walking distance. It was a Catholic church, but uh, I can remember back then, you'd be walking towards the church, and there'd be other people joining in and walking with you. And you could look ahead and see a lot of people, look behind and see a lot of people. They're all walking to church. You don't see that anymore. But I remember that as a small child... And I was sitting in Catholic churches listening to masses in Latin. I had no idea what was going on, but I felt in my heart a reverence. And it was probably religious uh, implications or something. I didn't really understand. I, you know, I, I understand about Jesus and about God, but I never got him into my heart uh, as a young child. But... As I grew older and met my wife and we got married, we started going to church. And guess what church we went to? The Catholic church. Because that was put in my heart as a young child. And my wife even converted to Catholicism. She was, you was Methodist, right? Baptist. Baptist. She was Baptist. Thank God she got saved. No, I'm just kidding. But she converted to Catholicism so we could get married. You know, the Catholics got all these crazy rules and stuff. And so we have to both be Catholics in order to get married in the Catholic Church. And so she converted just so we could get married in the Catholic Church. But my whole point is this, that what was instilled in my heart as a child, even though I didn't understand it, didn't have a clue of what was going on, didn't understand the language, the masses, or anything, 
I would kneel when they said to kneel. I stand when they said to stand. I sit when they said to sit. And then I had to go to uh, uh, catechism. And I, that's where I started learning some things. But again, I just learned about Jesus and about God. But I, and I, I knew of him, but I didn't know him, if you know what I mean. He wasn't in my heart, you know. And uh, Catholics don't have a sinner's prayer or, or a salvation prayer or something like that where we, we can get saved, you know. Uh, they just believe you, when you get baptized as a little child, that everything's covered, you know, uh, fire insurance. But, <laughs> but I remember, and, and later, you know, we, as we come into the truth, we realize the things that were wrong about what we believe, and those beliefs were changed. We were able to change those beliefs as adults. But it's so much easier if you put the right beliefs in a child when they're young. And then they'll grow up with them, and they won't forget them. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We thank you for the wisdom that's in your word, the instruction that's in your word, Lord. We thank you for the revelation, the prophetic utterance that we received today. We thank you that we realize now that we have to set some boundaries and barriers and put up some fences in our life and not cross those borders. We have to have... Uh, uh, barriers for the things that you're not pleased with and we have to be sure that we don't cross those barriers and do things that are not pleasing to you and that we stick with the beliefs that you have been instilling into our hearts through your through the word of God and help us to become stronger when it comes to our children not even not only our children but any child that we have influence over whether it's a grandchild or uh, we working in a daycare or we're babysitting or anything Every chance and opportunity that we get to plant a seed in a child's heart, Lord, remind us and help us to do that. And we thank you, Father, as we do that and we continue to water that word, that you will give increase and you will cause it to come forth. So we thank you and praise you that children are impressionable, but as adults we realize it's harder. And, and we know that the pastors try to instill into us good things when they teach and preach. But they got to take hold. they got to take root. And that's what I pray for right now, Lord, is that these things they're learning today will take root in their hearts. And they will kind of push out some of the bad beliefs and start establishing the right beliefs. And then those beliefs will begin to issue from our heart. And they will set up the borders and the boundaries for our life and the barriers for our lives so that we can stay within those barriers and remain safe, Lord. Because going outside of the barriers, we know there's danger in that, Lord. And so we thank you and we praise you for what we learned today. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.